themselves. <laughs> Whew. That was a sermon, wasn't it? Basically, we're going to talk a lot more about that very thing today. So it's with a little bit of sadness that, uh, for me at least, that we come to the end of this uh, sermon series we've been working on here for a while, the Ministers of the New Covenant. Um, I just feel like the the scripture in 2 Corinthians we've been studying has been really rich and really challenging uh, for us to live into this role um, that God has designed for us. And um, I have to admit that I've known that this message today was kind of coming and um, it was with a little bit of fear and trembling that I entered into trying to write this this week and try to, um, you know, give life, give word to, to what God um, has in store for us. Um, I feel a great burden for us to understand and embrace this calling because our sense of ownership and investment in this calling of being ambassadors of Christ in this world is critical to reflecting accurately the heart of God to people. So last week we talked about how, um, how our understanding of the vertical relationship that we have with God directly relates our ability to have horizontal relationships in the world around us. And specifically, we talked about how Paul's experience of grace allowed him to extend grace to other people. So kind of carrying on in that same analogy this week, we're going to look at the topic of reconciliation and how you know, we are first reconciled to God, which then allows us to be then reconciled to our fellow man. So what we see today as we conclude chapter 5 is Paul drilling down into um, a more specific missional role for us. Yes, we're all called to be ministers of this new covenant of grace. But the new covenant at its core is a story of reconciliation, which has tremendously powerful implications for us. So now I need you guys to be honest with me, and I need full participation, okay? Balcony 2. All right, so I want to see hands in the air here. How many of you have ever had a strained relationship with someone? Okay, yeah, most of us, right? Um, now, second honest question. How many of you right now know that you have a strained relationship with someone? Okay, I'd like you to humor me this morning and um, if you would, either on your phone or on your program this morning, would you type in or write that person's name down? I think it's really powerful for us to admit that and to name it and write it or type it. <clears throat> we'll get back to that in a while. And unfortunately, we've all been there at some point. I don't know about you, but... For me, navigating relationships when I was a kid was so much easier. I had a, a best friend in elementary school named Davis Haddon, and Davis um, was a punk, and so was I. And so he was my best friend in like, you know, fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth sixth grade in particular. I never fought with anyone as much as I fought with my best friend. And I mean literally like throwing punches in the face and cussing each other out kind of fights. Like it was on. And like usually it was on the playground because we're both super competitive and we were arguing about something, you know, some rule violation or whatever. 
And I mean, we would just go at it. And, um, but you know what was funny is that by the time we got to the principal's office, everything was cool, right? Because what we were trying to figure out then is what do we need to say to get us both out of trouble, right? To make it seem like it wasn't as bad as it really was. And so we became allies pretty quickly. And I don't remember ever holding grudges for like more than just like a day or two when I was a kid. And then all of a sudden we become adults. And man, we can hold grudges for a long time and even get to the point where we actually just write people off. Just be like, man, I'm done with them. It's interesting (laughs) as as we, we grow up how bitter we can become at times. So as a backdrop for our discussion today, I want, I want to remind us of something that's really been a theme here these last couple of weeks, or at least a reminder, is that in our natural state, we are all enemies of God. In our natural state, we're all enemies of, of God. I've got a couple verses I want to share with you that just remind us of that. One is from Romans 5.10. For if we, while we were God's enemies... For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And the second verse is from Colossians 1.21. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You see, I think most people in the world don't really think of themselves as enemies of God. But God makes it very clear that's exactly who we were. We were the offenders in that relationship. And that's a very important thing for us to keep in mind. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 2 Corinthians 5. It's page 1054. I think it's important for us to remember that, that was, that's the current relationship, we're the offender, because that tells us that there's, there's, there's something to be mended, there's work to be done, okay? So let's look at verse 18 in chapter 5. Paul says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul starts this section by saying, all this is from God. All what? Well, basically everything that he just covered in in verses 14 through 17 that we kind of looked at last week, right? Christ's death for all of mankind, his resurrection, which gives us hope that death doesn't have the final word, We looked at verse 17 last week, and finally, the new creation that we become as we enter into this relationship with Jesus. All those things were from God. They're all God-initiated actions, things that we could not drum up on our own. We couldn't um, make happen. It was completely his work of transforming us, completely his choice to reconcile with his creation. So God initiated this ministry of reconciliation, even though he was the innocent party. 
in this estranged relationship between him and I. And God's initiating love is seen over and over again in Scripture. I'll just give you a couple of examples you're probably pretty familiar with. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? Jesus comes along and in John 15, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I initiated that relationship. And God was pleased to do it. It wasn't like he begrudgingly did this. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews puts it like this. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Right? What was the joy set before him? I, I, I think the joy set before him was this knowledge that because of his death, paying for our sin, that there was going to be a restored relationship between God and man. And the freedom that we'd receive from being relieved of the shackles of sin. So I just want to take a minute uh, to kind of get a, um, some feedback from you guys of just how did, God, how did God's initiating love save you? What did he do to meet you? I mean, let's just, you know, understand that we know that he did it on the cross. But then specifically in your story, how did God initiate the saving work in your life. Can you just give us a brief little thing about how he did that, if you so would? Yeah, Phil? Yeah. Great. Sent, sent a couple guys that cared about him, shared the love of God with him. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. He talked to me in a dream about two years ago. I had him on too. Okay. He talked to you in a dream. That's pretty crazy. That's good stuff. Yeah. Nick, you scratching your head, you got an answer. Okay. <laughs> Good job. Anybody else? Yeah, Dem. I mean, he just put me in the family I was in, so I got mm. really good with my dad. So when I heard about God the Father, this was no strange to me. Yeah, yeah. He said he put him in the, a good family that he was in, where he saw the love of Christ in his his own earthly father. Yeah. Good. A lot of you guys have heard my story. You know that that God kind of sent my cross country coach or sent me to him. <laughs> um, you know, when he really initiated a relationship with me, loved me, showed me the love of Christ when I was not very lovable, and, um, you know, and, and just moved towards me and sent me young life leaders, mentors all along the way. Um, can we just do this for a second? Can we just take five seconds? Because each of us has a story like that. Could each of us just in our minds and our hearts just say thank you to God for that? I don't know about you, but um, I don't know where my life would be if God hadn't pursued me. I shudder to think about what my life, what I would have settled for had God not sent some, some brave and courageous and loving people into my life and into yours. Oof. Hmm. To reconcile means to restore to friendship. 
to restore to friendship. You see, Christ's death for our sin paved the way for God's original design for humanity, right? His original design was that that deep intimacy that he shared with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall, before we wanted things our way. Christ's death paved the way for that to be restored. And this is no small thing, friends. God didn't wait for an apology. He didn't wait for us to clean our act up, start going to church, start making right choices. Right? Paul talks about God's unbelievable love in Romans 5.8, this initiating love. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So verse 19, back in 2 Corinthians, Paul said that God was not counting people's sins against them. He forgave a debt that we could never repay. God was gracious to us when we didn't deserve it. In fact, we deserved the exact opposite. We deserved his wrath. We deserved his holy judgment in our life because of our selfish and sinful hearts. And we have to remember that truth daily in order to be the people that he's going to call us to next. I read this quote this week reading uh, Timothy Keller's, uh, his devotional from Proverbs. And he said this at the end. He said, Lord, if my perspective and sense of proportion were right, I would realize that everything I experience that is better than hell is a gift of mercy from you. Everything that I experience that is better than hell is a gift of mercy from you. That's sobering. (laughs) So in return for God's amazing reconciling love for us, what does he ask? What does he ask? God just says, I want you to give I want you to take what you've received from Christ, this undeserved mercy, and go out into the world, and I want you to scatter grace and love generously. That's what I want you to do. I want you to be ministers of reconciliation. I want you to help people be restored to me, and I want you to help people be restored to one another. Do for others what I've done for you. So how are we doing with that? Well, I want to ask you a question that I think it's going to be easy for you guys to get an A on, okay? What are the two most popular words that Americans use to describe Christians? Raise your hand. I heard one of them, yeah? Judgmental? What else? Unforgiveness, yeah. What else? Hypocritical, right? Self-righteous. Okay, not very flattering. And whether that's fair or accurate really isn't the point. The point is is that that's the perception. And so we have a really bad PR problem. Listen to Jesus' words in John 13. To his disciples, he said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another you love one another but what does the world see when it looks at the church in america 
it sees a divorce rate in the church that pretty much mirrors the divorce rate in society. It's really no different. It sees, you know, they drive by and they see signs at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different denominations. <laughs> Fractures and splits because we can't agree on stuff. We see churches splitting because they can't come to the table and be reconciled with one another. They see pastors and church staff burning out or being dismissed because of disagreements or even mistakes made where there was an opportunity for a restorative resolution there, but people don't want to come to the table to work that hard. And folks are just kicked to the curb, wounded, <laughs> maybe never to return. So make no mistakes, friends, that like this ministry, this calling to be ministers of reconciliation is the hardest work we will ever do. Because the standard and example of Christ and his humility in this is just so demanding. We've been given this ministry whether we like it or not. Mainly because we've all been recipients of it. And that ministry towards us. And Paul in his famous passage on love that they read at weddings all the time, right? 1 Corinthians 13. The one that sticks out to me the most is this, love keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you know that you keep record of wrongs? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> it's our human nature to want to feel justified, <laughs> to feel bitter towards somebody else when we feel like we've been offended. I want you to hold your, your finger there in 2 Corinthians and flip back to Romans chapter 8 to your left there, a couple books. <clears throat> Sorry, Romans 12, <clears throat> page 1034. Look at verse 18. The heading of this section, at least in mine, is love in action. Verse 18, Paul writes, if it's possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So if we're going to truly strive to live at peace with everyone, to keep no record of wrongs, to be ministers of the new covenant, ministers of reconciliation, then we're going to have to start asking ourselves some really hard questions. In the midst of those strained relationships that we know we've been in and are going to be in the future, it's inevitable, we have to ask ourselves, what is my part in this? Even if I feel like it's 90% the other person and 10% me, what's your 10%? What do you need to take responsibility? Because I can guarantee you when you go to them and you say, Here's my part in this. You don't have to tell them it's only 10%, you know, and keep that to yourself. <laughs> but when you can come to them with some humility and say, hey, here's my part. Here's where I've added fuel to the discord. It's going to go a lot better. Okay, young people, this is something to know. <laughs> How to be an effective adult, right? 
we're going to have to ask ourselves, like Jesus talked about, where's the log in my eye? Instead of being so concerned about the speck in everybody else's. But often, instead of doing an honest and brutal examination of our own motives, it feels a whole lot better just to take the easy route of justification. And then we also like to gather friends around us, right, on our side that are telling us how right we are. Yeah. You ever do that? Like you go flip through your phone? Oh, no, if I call them, they're going to tell me I probably need to apologize. Oh, here's this person. This person, they'll be on my side. They know what a jerk that other person is, right? We kind of pick and choose who we talk to, right, to entrench ourselves in our rightness. Some of y'all are thinking, man, did he look at my phone this week? What's going on? Let's finish up with verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So, good Lord, what are they doing to the children over there? (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) Maybe they're trying to reconcile some children to one another. I don't know. But the role of an ambassador, okay, you know, the United States president gets to pick ambassadors, sends them out to all the other countries that we're in, you know, good relationship with, and they represent the ruler of the country. So they live in a foreign land, usually with a foreign language, foreign customs. An ambassador never speaks on their own behalf. They don't get the luxury of kind of having their own opinion. They speak the the heart and the mind of the person that sent them, the president, the king, whatever the situation might be. Now, the New Testament writers make it very clear that as followers of Christ, that we are strangers and aliens in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so if you think about it in those terms, we are sent as citizens of heaven to be ambassadors now here on this earth into a foreign culture. And we are sent there with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And it's costly, and it's countercultural, and it's a language that the world isn't always excited about speaking. And the truth is, we might not always feel like reconciling. But the message of the king who sent us is the cross of reconciliation, So when we sign up to be followers of Jesus, as as the Apostle John wrote, we must walk as Jesus walked. We don't get to make up our own version of Christianity. We don't have permission to say, well, God, you know what? I'm going to be one of those Christians that holds grudges. That's how I'm going to do this. Bitterness and unforgiveness are going to be my calling cards, right? That's not how this works. Jesus says, I need you to drink the cup that I drink, the cup of humility, selflessness, dying to ourselves, right? Because the reality is, is that God had every right to feel used and unappreciated of our, by our ignorance and indifference towards our sin. 
He had every right to feel used and unappreciated because of our ignorance and indifference towards our sin. He would have been justified in striking us all dead. But instead, he sent his only son to bear our sins, to take our place on the cross. He initiated the ministry of reconciliation. And he set an example of self-sacrificial love. And it's a really hard work. And that's why throughout 2 Corinthians, as we've been reading here several chapters, Paul, time and again, says, guys, in this ministry, we do not lose heart. It's going to be discouraging. It's going to be difficult. You're going to try to reconcile, and people aren't going to receive it. And you're going to get frustrated and angry. And God's saying, yeah, I get it. I know. (laughs) I deal with this every day, right? It's hard. We have to be compelled by Christ's love for us. That has to be the driving force for us. And the deeper we come in touch with God's grace for us in our life and how far he went to save us, the greater our ability it will be to extend grace to those around us. As Christ's ambassadors, his representatives on this earth, Paul says, we implore people to be reconciled to God. And that word implore literally means to beg and plead. God is begging us to receive this free gift of reconciliation. He's begging us. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't we, the offenders, be begging him for mercy? He's begging us. That's crazy. You know why God pleads with us? Because he understands what's at stake. He understands that eternity hangs in the balance. He has a proper sense of urgency in the situation. I don't know about you, but I I need a greater sense of urgency in my ministry, in my relationships with other people. Paul, if you remember his story, he had been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, right? This once vile and violent and prideful man had been redeemed. And in response to that immense grace that God showed on his life, he pledged himself to be a servant, a minister of the new covenant, a minister of reconciliation, God's ambassador of love to a broken and hurting world. Doesn't God's grace for you and I demand the same response? Guys, last week we talked about this. The reality is, is if we are followers of Christ, our life is not our own anymore. It was bought at a price, the precious blood of Jesus, and I belong to him. We belong to him. And so if he wants us to be ministers of reconciliation... Guess what? That's what we're going to be with his help. (laughs) We are all ministers of the new covenant of grace. I hope if you don't get anything else out of this whole entire sermon series that you understand that. We are all equally called to be ministers of the new covenant, the ministry of reconciliation, Christ's ambassadors here on earth. So what's our next step? If that's who we are, 
If that's our identity, our role, then what do we do? Well, I think first and foremost, I think it'd be good for us to start today with the person that we wrote down at the beginning of the sermon and to ask ourselves and to pray and wrestle with, God, what does it look like for me to initiate reconciliation with that person? And what it might start with is not picking up the phone and saying you're sorry. What he might start with is just saying, well, you need to look at yourself a little bit more. You need to look at the role you've played in this and do some soul searching maybe a little bit so that when you come to them, you come with the right spirit. I don't know what he's going to say to you. And honestly, guys, just to be transparent here, that person for me is my dad. I don't know what to do with him. I'll just be honest. He doesn't live here. He lives a long way away. We really haven't had a relationship for a long time. We call each other two or three times a year. We just talk about football. Like, I really don't know what to do. I feel this sense of responsibility that I might be like the only Christian in his life. What I really want to do is just write him off and never talk to him again because that would be a whole lot easier. And so I'm praying and wrestling with, God, what does this mean for me? What do you demand of me in this situation? Because his love for us demands that we drink the cup of humility, of suffering a blow to our pride and our ego at times, our desire to be right, (laughs) to bring about or at least offer peace and reconciliation. Because when we take the courageous steps to reconcile with our fellow man, we remind the world that God can bridge any gap that he can restore any fractured and broken relationship and that reconciliation becomes hope for the world. And I just want to ask this of you as well. You might be thinking, well, you know what? I didn't write anybody down. I'm cool with everybody right now, which is fine. That could be you. You might be that nice. My wife is that nice probably. She doesn't have any enemies, okay? But here's a couple things that I know. One, you probably will be in a strained relationship in the future. So what do you have to learn to kind of prepare yourself for that day? Secondly, if we are to also help reconcile people to God, then we have to all look around our life right now and say, okay, who do I know in my life that I work with, go to school with, in my family, whoever it might be, who isn't reconciled to God? And as a minister of reconciliation, what is my role in helping them reconcile to him? I have a responsibility to be an agent of the new covenant of grace in their life. Is there somebody that I need to share the love of Christ with? Either verbally or with my actions or whatever God might have you do. Secondly, I want to address a certain number of you here today, which is this question is, have you personally been reconciled to God? Have you personally been reconciled to God? Our journey of reconciliation has to begin there, because until we understand that God met us in our most unlovely state and loved us despite our sin, we'll never be able to be ministers of reconciliation to other people in this world. So we have to first humbly receive this unmerited grace for us to understand the kind of love that we have to extend to others. So if you've never taken that step yourself, then I want to direct you 
to chapter 6, the next chapter, verse 2, where Paul says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today, right now, while God has you here, has your attention. So if you've never taken that step of surrendering yourself to God, I want to encourage you in a minute when we take communion, do not take communion. Because part of taking communion, first of all, is identifying yourself with Christ and saying that I receive what God has done for me and that I want to be broken and poured out like him. So what I want to encourage you to do, if you've never been reconciled to God, is come and find me up here. I'll be over in the corner there and just come and pray with me to do that today. And then you can go and take communion uh, in the right spirit, with the right heart and attitude as a new creation in Christ. And finally, last thing, in the spirit of reconciliation, if that person that you wrote down today is in this room, that's a different level of responsibility too, right? If the person that you're in a strained relationship right now is somebody in Wellspring, which that's been me before, then I want to remind you of God's word. Slide is up here. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift, or then come and take communion today. So be an initiator of peace with them. I would encourage you, don't come and take communion. Go find that person in this room and say, hey, you know, can we talk now or can we talk this week and, and try to reconcile? We don't have the option of choosing not to. It's just like when we talk about forgiveness. We don't have the choice to not receive and extend forgiveness to one another. It's not an option. It's who Christ is. It's what he was for us. It's the, it's the initiating love that he had towards us. As hard as it might be, swallow our pride or whatever, it's, it's, it's the accurate reflection of Christ. We have to go there. So... Anywho, pleasure spending time with you guys this morning. I just want you to know, and I was talking with Justin uh, May. We we, uh, sat down together this past week and reviewed his message. And, you know, he watched it, I watched it, and we, we sat down and took notes. And I said, you know, one of the hardest things about being the person that stands up here every week in front of you and says this stuff is that all week I'm wrestling with this myself. I can't say things up here that I'm not personally digesting and trying to rectify in my own life. And it is, it's not fun <laughs> sometimes. And so I want you to know that I'm, I'm in the pew with you. I, I'm, I'm struggling to be the man that I want to be every day. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for its truth. As hard as it is, God, we know that it's ultimately what's good and what's right and God, you, you showed us how to do it. You paved the way. You did all the heavy lifting by taking our sin, God, by, by being resurrected so that we would have your spirit in us, so that when we go to make things right with our brother and we try to muster the strength, God, all we got to do is just get out of the way and let your Holy Spirit do the work in us because it's what you want to do. And so God, if, first of all, if we haven't been reconciled with you, if, I, if we don't know for sure that we've received your, your grace and forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. God, I pray that we would do that today. Lord, the rest of us that are, that are maybe 
have already made that step and we're followers of you, but we know that there's strained relationships in our life. God, help us to be the initiators. Help us to do the hard work of looking at ourselves. Help us to find friends who will push us towards reconciliation and not entrench us in our own justification. God, if there's somebody that, that we are crosswise with here in our sanctuary this morning, God, I pray that you would make it right today. God, that we wouldn't let the sun go down on unforgiveness. God, we love you. As we thank you for your reckless love as we've sang today. God, we, and we just think about the words of that song, when we were a foe, you fought for us. God, what a beautiful example. Lord, just speak to us as we just quiet ourselves now and prepare ourselves for this time at the table.